Welcome to the Orange Silicon Valley Bistro Cast, the podcast about what's new, what's coming, and what connects people in the world of tech. I'm Brian Warmoth, the content lead here at Orange Silicon Valley, and this week I am excited to be launching this podcast with the first of what I hope will be many conversations with Orange Silicon Valley's in-house experts and community members. Our guest for today's episode is Mike Vladimir. Mike works on the Internet of Things projects here at Orange Silicon Valley. He is known here as the co-founder of the IoT Studio, and he has a very impressive background of experience. Before we go any deeper on anything else, Mike, thanks for joining me here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. You are the first guest in this podcast series, so you will be the benchmark against which everybody else will judge themselves. That is uh, kind of fitting because the Internet of Things is all about measuring things. So uh, <laughs> That's a good point. only that the IoT studio is going to be you know, the benchmark for measurement, it just seems so fitting. Uh, maybe we can start off by you just explaining a little bit about your role here and your background. Uh, I know you have a background studying design and engineering. At, and business. And business at uh, Berkeley and at Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you worked for a, uh, a very interesting startup out here called Neura yep. for a while in San Francisco. Yep. And uh, I think you did some work in Washington, D.C. as well. Yeah. 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 Um, maybe tell, tell us about right now, what do you focus on? What did you bring to the table to your current role? Um, so I like to say I speak business and I speak engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I would, those are the two kind of qualities I, I bring to the IoT studio. As you mentioned, my background, I, when I, my first, I did a, my first master's in electrical engineering focusing on microsensors, which are these like little computer chips with moving parts. So you probably don't even know inside your smartphone right now, mm-hmm. they're little moving These parts. are things that have been out there and are already being used. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. so it's, it's, it's interesting you say like, how long has this been happening? Mm-hmm. I started on this almost 20 years ago mm-hmm. um, on these microsensors. And at the time, because the market was so small, there weren't smartphones. Mm-hmm. The only, the, the result was that the economics made these microsensors extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. The only types of products where it actually made economic sense to use a microsensor were in like multi-million dollar missiles. Mm-hmm. And that was actually my first internship was doing missile guidance systems. Fascinating. My, my joke was I'm a rocket scientist. <laughs> well, you uh, are. You work. If, if you're uh, doing you're a missile guidance, you're, you're a rocket scientist. Yeah. I very quickly realized I did not want to work in weapons. And it was also a very niche area. Like, like who cares about these microsensors if you can only use them in the most expensive applications. Mm-hmm. And what's been amazing to me to see over like the last 20 years is we've gone from multi-million dollar missiles to dog collars. Mm-hmm. So like you have the whistle dog collar that has an accelerometer and a, a microsensor that's uh-huh. tracking motion and you sell them for like a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's been amazing for me over the course of my career to see what started out as very niche becoming a commodity, mm-hmm. a cheap commodity. And th- that's kind of what led me to the Internet of Things. because So one thing I always say whenever we talk about IoT is, what, what is IoT? It's many mm-hmm. different things to many people. The, the way I, I try to frame it, because it's, it is so difficult to define, is I can at least say, what is the bare minimum IoT system? Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, you can always add more to it, but, but g- give me at least the, the basic bare bones. And I would argue it's four things. It's sensors, connectivity, computation, and user interface. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a device. We're going to pack it with sensors, measure something about the world mm-hmm. around us, like acceleration, motion, whatever. We're going to, the data that's in that device, it's not very interesting or useful, so we're going to send it to the internet where it can be much more useful. Mm-hmm. Run computation, because you have all this data. It's 
big data, literally. There's, the raw data is not very interesting, so we want to use computation to extract some kind of insight. So if I want to use buzzwords, I'd say AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science. But at the end of the day, it's take all this data and give me something useful. Mm -hmm. And then user interface, expose that takeaway mm -hmm. to, to, to someone more, so that could be useful. Like mm -hmm. It's not useful in the cloud alone. Um, and that, that, to me, is the bare bones of IoT. Uh, okay. Sensors, connectivity, computation, user interface. Okay. And so I started on the sensor side, and now they're cheap commodities, so I've kind of moved up the stack, if you will, to the Internet of Things, where it's um, much more much more room for impact, much more room for creating value, and that, that's what excites me about it. Well, I, I think anybody who has walked across our office floor has seen the studio yeah. uh, that you work in, which is somewhat of a museum of <laughs> artifacts yep. uh, from the most recent last few months through the past year or two. But there are a lot of different examples of the types of internet-connected devices mm -hmm. that you've been exploring that have come out on the market that we've tested, that yep. you have tested, that you've maybe worked with partners on in some cases. Uh, you, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about what's there and what you have put in there. Sure, so in the studio space itself, there are basically two types of products that you mm -hmm. can see on our shelves. Part of it is just a learning library. So mm -hmm. Snapchat's uh, Spectacles and Amazon Alexa of mm -hmm. every single flavor and type. Mm -hmm. um, we have that there so that anybody who's interested can go and test it out. And for me, it's actually really interesting because as a guy who lives and breathes this stuff, I know that I'm not a typical consumer. Mm -hmm. So often, you know, a new colleague will join us because we're always growing here. You know, we're hiring. Mm -hmm. um, we are. I'm looking for an editorial production intern right now. If you think you might be right for the role, please visit orangesv.com and apply. <laughs> And hopefully you'll be accepted. And if you're accepted, <laughs> then you can come talk to me, and mm -hmm. I will lend you our Snapchat spectacles uh, or whatever other IoT device. That Added you want. value. Yeah, Added. and and I want to hear the the perspective of our colleague of my colleagues, our colleagues, mm -hmm. uh, as people that don't live and breathe this stuff, as mm -hmm. people that are much closer to a typical consumer, so I can understand what's their experience with the onboarding, with the, with the product value, all these things that. I know we're super important, but it's not so easy for me to, to see through pe other people's eyes. This is my intermediate mm -hmm. step. So half, most of the stuff in the, in the studio is other people's products, along with a couple products that we've done uh, our own projects with here internally. So typically, the projects that the IoT studio engages in, we're either trying to demonstrate value or trying to test value. Mm -hmm. So uh, one interesting technology that's coming on the market is a new type of uh, telecommunication system system called LoRa. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it exists That's an in acronym, Europe. right? Can yes. you break down what does LoRa mean? Great question. So LoRa yeah. is spelled L-O-R-A. Mm -hmm. L-O stands for long, R-A stands for range. So it's long range, low power, low cost. Mm -hmm. uh, it's basically a telecommunications protocol that's great for IoT. Mm -hmm. Because uh, another way to say that is, why is Wi-Fi or cell not great today for IoT? And it's because uh, Wi-Fi and cell were designed for the use case of smartphones and laptops, where okay. you have uh, a lot of power, you have consumers that are willing to constantly charge the batteries, they're willing to pay a lot of money for these solutions, and that's great. That like I love my laptop, I love my smartphone. But with IoT, consumers like their IoT products, they don't mm -hmm. love their IoT products. Mm -hmm. So they'll spend you know maybe $100, but they're not gonna spend 1000 mm -hmm. They'll charge it once a week, but they're not gonna charge it every day. Mm -hmm. and, so, and why is that? Um, What's the difference between a love product and a like product? It's a great question. I think it's all about the problem that we solve. Mm -hmm. uh, 
when people look to IoT, they're like, oh, this is hardware. My, my phone is a piece of hardware. Why shouldn't all hardware be the same? Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that we have to understand is like a, a phone and a laptop do a ton of different functions. The best way to think about IoT is not like a phone and a laptop, even though it's also hardware. It's much better to think about it like an app. So on your laptop, you have Excel. On your laptop, you have Microsoft Word. You know, you have Adobe. Uh, and just like you have Adobe Reader, you have it, like, like each one of those apps, same thing on your phone. You have Uber, you have Lyft. Like each one of those apps solves a specific problem and you like each app individually and then you love your phone and you love your laptop. I do, sometimes takes... I don't like my phone, but <laughs> sometimes I love the apps and not the phone. But generally speaking, I, I follow yeah, what so, so the difference between like and love, I would, in the simplest sense, is how many problems do you solve for? me. Um, and I, I, I would argue that IoT is great at solving niche problems. Mm -hmm. um, when I look at IoT products that try to be everything to everyone, they're usually in a drawer within a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. I think that, that kind of gets I want into something I wanted to ask you about, which was what the difference is between a good piece of IoT technology and a bad piece of IoT technology. And I don't know if that's the right, maybe good experience versus bad experience is the better way to approach that. Or maybe you could <sighs> so tell the, me what you think about that. So the way I like to think about, there's a bunch of different ways. Uh, What's the difference between failure and success? So th there, there's a bunch of different ways that I like to think about mm -hmm. this market. I, I have this framework I use called IoT 1.0 and IoT 2.0, mm -hmm. and I, I think it kind of explains a little bit uh, where we're getting. Mm -hmm. So first of all, like, why does the Internet of Things even exist? All of this is a, around the idea of it used to be prohibitively expensive to build Internet of Things products. They, again, we're, I'm talking in the simplest sense about sensors, connectivity, computation, user interface. Mm -hmm. Sensors 20 years ago when I started were, again, multi-million dollar missiles. That's no longer the problem. Connectivity. Now we have, you know, Wi-Fi is really cheap. Cellular is a little bit more expensive. We have technologies like I mentioned, LoRa, that are going to make connectivity even cheaper. So you can computation. We have Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud, and like, like every single piece of this IoT puzzle. It, Individually, each of these pieces has dropped so much in cost and become so affordable that now we can, IoT can exist. So, mm -hmm. so que question number one is, how did we get here? We got here because it, what used to be impossible is now technologically feasible and economically affordable. <laughs> so when stuff th events like this happen, oh my god, I couldn't do it, now I can, the first thing that people tend to do, and this is my argument of what is IoT 1.0, is mm -hmm. if I can IoTify it, let's IoTify it. And so Let's connect my umbrella, let's connect my exactly. shoe, let's connect my, the buttons on my shirt if I want. Yeah. Why am I connecting my umbrella? Because I can. Yeah. Does it really measure matter if I can measure how much rain hits the umbrella? Eh, maybe not. And so you see exactly products to this okay. end where people are IoTifying products. It's a big increase in cost. It's a nominal increase in value. There is some value there. Somebody somewhere cares about how much water hit their umbrella. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, when we add up how much value is created for how many people, it's not game changing. Mm -hmm either in the severity of the pain that we solve or in the number of people. So I, I, the best thing you could possibly do is solve huge amounts of pain for you know, all seven billion of us. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can't do that, then you know, th I would argue that often, like this comes back to the niche problem, let's mm -hmm. find people that are in intense pain mm -hmm. and solve their pain. Um, and that, that to me is IoT 2.0. Mm -hmm. So IoT 2.0 is 
let's be creative, let's be imaginative, let's not just IoTify solutions to existing problems like our umbrella, let's solve problems that we can never solve before. Okay. And that, uh, to identify those problems is really, a, that, that's a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. But when you're able to do it, it becomes game-changing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can give you some examples of... Well, I, I wondered if maybe you could highlight some of the examples, uh, at least from your work here, with maybe some of the startups that have come through or some of the projects that you, you found yourself working on. Sure. So one of the first projects I worked on was with a company called Sutro. Sure. Um, they're a great example of an IoT 2.0 company. Mm -hmm. so, what does Sutro do? So I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so Sutro uh, solves the problem of pool water uh, maintenance. Uh -huh. So if I grew up in New Jersey, you know, you're from the Midwest, uh, we all, we've all grown up around pools and we've all seen, you know, some unfortunate soul who has to tediously walk out to the pool and take a scoop of water and add some drops and look at the color change and it tells you the pH but it doesn't really tell you what you care about, which is mm -hmm. can I go swimming today or not? Mm -hmm. You know, they have to go through this whole complicated process and it's really an expensive thing to own a pool. Yeah. Um, Sutro simplifies that entire process. Mm -hmm. Sutro is an IoT device or IoT system with a device that floats in your pool, takes a measurement or two every day, sends that data to the cloud, they analyze it, they say, oh, your pH is this, your chlorine is that. Mm -hmm. Either yes, it's safe, go for a swim, or no, something's wrong with your pool, here's how to fix it. Add two scoops of chlorine, whatever. And so that change, that fundamental change of, of not just you know, making the, and I think it's really important, like what, what, what would be an IoT 1.0 solution to this versus Sutro's 2.0? Yeah, what IoT, would that be? IoT 1.0 might be like, great, so you're already going to the pool and using this scooper and we're just gonna put a sensor on the scooper to, you know, measure how much water is in it or maybe even look at the color change for you. But all that tedious work of going out to the pool and taking the sample, you still have to do all that yourself. Of course. That stinks. <laughs> yeah. With Sutro, it's you drop it in the pool, in May, if you're in the East Coast, and then in September you take it out and you, you recharge it over the winter. Mm -hmm. it, you, you, it dramatically simplifies that, that entire process. And, and that's- It removes a level of worry about something that you would be having to come back to in a loop to it, do over and over again. Exactly, and, and, and most importantly to me uh, is they actually solve the problem. Mm -hmm. your, your current pool water kit does not tell you if the pool water is safe, mm -hmm. it tells you the pH. Mm -hmm. Sutro has an app and it literally has a thumbs up, yes, go swimming, or thumbs down, here's, here's the problem, how to fix it. <laughs> and I think that that to me is, is IoT 2.0. I see. Um, I can keep going on examples if you want. Uh, that's exactly, why don't you give me one more? So uh, another company I'm a big fan of, they're called Compology. They look at garbage cans. So yeah. we're used to seeing the garbage truck drive around. Up until now, when the, that garbage truck went uh, to pick up the garbage, there's a bunch of empty garbage cans. <laughs> Compology has a device that sits in the garbage containers and it tells the driver either, you know, come clean up this garbage can, it's full, or you know what, skip it. Nobody used it today, go to the next uh, spot. And from what I've read, they're, you know, saving something like 30% of the costs uh, for these garbage pickups. So, you know, Sutro is nice because it's a consumer-facing product, Compology is more of an enterprise product. Mm -hmm. uh, but in both cases, you're solving problems that have never been solved before to, to this depth and this uh, completeness. Mm -hmm. Let, let's get into maybe some of the 
other audiences you've spoken to out here? I know you do quite a bit of speaking work mm -hmm. uh, uh, in your role here. What do you think some of the most common questions are that are out there? When you go out to an audience that might not be IoT specific, but might be sort of interested or sort of, you know, have their gl eyes glaze over because they've heard <laughs> IoT so many times they don't know what to think of it anymore. What are, what are the typical questions you hear from the audiences you talk to? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because I, I, I really do enjoy speaking and like sharing my perspective. And just to be contrarian, if nothing else, I, I get a lot of questions where I tend to disagree with even the premise of the question. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's both, it's not just people, it's both people that are like knee deep in IoT like I am or, you know, folks on the street. So, you know, there's the classic, who's going to win IoT? Is it, mm -hmm. is it Amazon? Are they, they're winning. They have Alexa. They have, you know, mm -hmm. AWS. And I, I think that, um, that that question just, it, it, there's no winner. It's like saying, who, who's going to win the internet? Mm -hmm. is, it, is Facebook going to win? Is Google going to win? Is Amazon? All these companies, you know, it, it's all about the niche. Mm -hmm. So Amazon is doing great in e-commerce. Google's mm -hmm. doing great in search. Expedia is doing great in travel. Mm -hmm. it, and the internet sol enables all these companies to solve all these different problems. But mm -hmm. there's no, like, one company owning the internet. Uh, is so, it fair to say, too, when you're talking about enterprise, you're talking about lots of niche types of sensors and use cases, right? So can one company dominate all of those different types of sensing and use cases? So that's exactly, yeah, we're, we're saying similar things. So first I would yeah. say, there's the, the sensors themselves, again, I, I started in microsensors and I don't want to do it anymore because they're cheap commodities. Yeah. And so the, so the sensor side, it's like, we can measure anything we want to measure. Yeah. It's much more interesting on the, uh, the market side. Which market do you want to go after? Which mm -hmm. people with pain do you want to solve their problem? Mm -hmm. And I would argue for each specific market, then we can talk about having winners. Mm -hmm. You know, who's going to win the garbage pickup market? Eh, maybe it is Compology. Mm -hmm. Who's going to win the pool market? Maybe it is Sutro. Mm -hmm. Who's going to win the emergency room healthcare market for certain types of surgery or something? Exactly. Yeah. I, but the so so that, let's just use that again because I, I love the, your the way you're kind of like <laughs> pitching me these balls to, <laughs> to, to knock out of the park. Um, when you say like who's going to win emergency rooms? Let's mm -hmm. just start yeah. with that. I, I would argue almost that like, that's too broad. Like, yeah. like you really need, I, I, the best IoT products that I see have laser focus at solving one very specific problem. Um, and that actually leads me to the other question that I hear all the time that I think is, I kind of disagree with the premise, which is, IoT, we're gathering all this data. Let's connect it all. Mm -hmm. um, how do we connect it all? It's such a big, important problem. We have Does to, it need to be connected? And that's my that's exactly what I say is like, I, I think starting with the idea of, you know, I have data set number one over here, data set number two over there. Let's, let's combine them because that'll be good. Uh, I think it misses the point. I think it... Aggregation is a distraction. I think the, the entire point is finding those high-value problems and solving them with a laser focus. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you go to that, if you accept my, my premise there, if you accept that, if you go to, the, to this uh, idea that I'm pitching you about starts with the customer, starts with the problem, then you can tie that back to aggregate, the idea of aggregating data. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, what data set do we start with to solve this problem? We, we are Sutro, we want to solve, we, want, we need at a bare minimum pH and chlorine data for pools. We're Compology, we need at a bare minimum uh, a picture inside the garbage bin every minute to, to measure the height of the garbage. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we could say, great, what other data can we layer on top of it 
what's the cost of that data? What's mm -hmm. the cost of integrating that data? And how much value does it, does it provide? How much better are we gonna do than the status quo solution? And occasionally you're gonna be blown away. Oh my gosh, you know, if we take Compology's uh, garbage data and layer on top of that weather data, mm -hmm. you know, we can figure out, you know, the better way to, to route our, our trucks because you know the weather screws up the traffic and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we just go straight to traffic data. Mm -hmm. Anywho, the, the, uh, the problem that I have with IoT 1.0 companies is that there are companies that build because they can, not because it's compelling. Mm -hmm. And the idea of aggregating data is, again, going back to the idea of let's aggregate data, let's get as many data sets woven together as we can. Fundamentally, because we can do it, not because it solves a problem. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those two questions, um, who's going to win IoT, or how do we aggregate all the data, I, I Might not be the best that. way to approach the problem. I think, well, I'll say it this way. My goal is to work on problems that are really compelling and impactful, mm -hmm. and I don't think worrying about who's going to win or worrying about just data aggregation for its own sense yeah. is, is going to uh, get us there. I see. Do you? see any similarity or differences between the consumer market and the enterprise market right now uh, in terms of these attitudes? In, as far as people's attitudes, I wouldn't say, but I, mm -hmm. I will say as far as opportunities with IoT, there's mm -hmm. huge differences mm -hmm. uh, between consumers and enterprise. And I think it's, um, the, the example I like to give that is another uh, Orange Fab startup uh, mm -hmm. called Vertigrease. Sure. Um, and I think that they're, they're like a perfect case in point as to why enterprise is so great for IoT. Say a little bit about what Vertigrease does. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, why, so Vertigrease is great for enterprise and not as good, <laughs> IoT is not as good for consumer. So Vertigrease is a company that makes an IoT system that monitors energy in buildings. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a, we, we have it installed here. I did a project with them. Mm -hmm. it, it, what's great about it is you just install it uh, in the fuse box and using signal processing there and artificial intelligence, they're able to understand all of the energy consumption throughout the building. I see. So they'll be able to detect things like, oh, the lights all turn on at four in the morning. Why are they doing that? Do you really need that to happen? No, great, we can save energy. Mm -hmm. They can do predictive maintenance. They could say, oh, you know, your chiller fan was consuming a certain amount of energy and then all of a sudden that the way it's consuming energy is drastically changed mm -hmm. and we can look at historical precedent and say, eh, it's probably got about a month left to live. You, mu you really want to order one now as opposed to the status quo which is you wake up one morning and your chiller fan's broken and now like no one can go into the into the building. The thing that's really interesting with Vertigrease is you know they're moving towards actuation. They're moving towards actually controlling systems and, and they do do that for some of their customers. But in the simplest sense, their deliverable is a to-do list. You know, go check the chiller fan, go check the lights. And that works because there are people in enterprises whose job it is already to inspect these fans. Sure. You, have, inspect you have building maintenance people, you have whoever's in charge of facilities, whatever the... Exactly, yeah, exactly. IT people in some cases. Sure. So Vertigrease is great because they, they enable these professionals to do their job better. Mm -hmm. They're saying, look, up until now, how did you manage your to-do list? Eh, your gut, I what, you, you, people's complaints, whatever. Like, 
you know, what's interesting about Vertigrees is they have competitors on the consumer side, on the residential side, where, you know, because you, as I'm saying this, you can imagine just as easily, like, you have fans in your home, you have lights in your home. Like, I have central air. Do I need to go check that duct? Do I need to go check that fuse box? Do I need to go check that water spout? Do it, I need to go in the crawl space? Exactly. I hope I don't need to go in the crawl space. Exactly. So, crawl space. So, now, so now if you think about this from the perspective of a consumer, they go out to Home Depot, they spend a couple hundred dollars on their Vertigrease-esque system that's going to IOTify their energy in their home. They take a Sunday and they install it. And then, you know, after a little bit of time, they get a similar deliverable, a to-do list. So you're in, for those consumer-facing products, these IoT products, it's saying, great, now that you spent a couple hundred dollars, we want the, your next three Sundays to fix these problems. Like, uh, at least for me as a consumer, if I'm paying you a couple hundred dollars, you better solve my problem and not give me a to-do list for how I'm supposed to solve my problem. That's a yeah. big ask. It is a big ask. And, and yeah, and to be fair, there's always, you know, a few folks out there that are really passionate about home maintenance and for them this is going to work, but it's not going to be a game changer for most homeowners. Whereas Vertigrease in the enterprise space is doing great and they're, they're really solving important okay. problems. Okay. Is there anything you can say about what you're uh, working on now? So I'm, I've been really interested, like I said, in solving new types of problems. Mm-hmm. And working with Vertigrease uh, has gotten me really interested in smart buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been looking at uh, some of the problems that our customers have also around asset tracking. Mm. Uh, it's really, so, you know, assets, we're talking about hundreds or thousands of dollars per device, and these things go missing, and they're, they're, there's a lot of interest right now in asset tracking. Mm-hmm. So um, I, those are some specific things that I'm looking at, but overall I'd say that I have kind of like a fundamental belief about the way the world is today, and that that's kind of where I'm gearing my efforts. Okay. So I believe that today we're living in this fundamental paradigm shift around data. And it's, and I'm, so I'm really interested in finding compelling problems that I can use data to solve. And, and when I say that big statement, oh, it's a paradigm shift around data, it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it, so I'll give you how I wrap my head around it. And I, Tell I think, me a bit about this. So I think it's really hard for people, and definitely for me, <laughs> uh, to understand what's going on in the moment. It's much easier to apply 2020 hindsight to something similar and then to fast forward to today. So people say data is the new oil. And I've I think, heard this before. Yeah. I've heard some people say this. Exactly. And, and so what? So, so, so how do I make use of that? So I think um, it's actually kind of interesting to say, what was the world like before oil? What was the world like before fossil fuels? So I looked at did some research, and there's uh, you know people's best guess. But if you want to, and I want to enjoy, and everyone else listening to this, we all want to enjoy the quality of life that we take for granted today with our fancy coffees and our comfortable clothing and our ability to, to get across the bay quickly and all these other things. If we want to enjoy this quality of life, we would need hundreds or thousands of servants per person in order to to have this quality of life without fossil fuels. Today, those quote-unquote servants are machines, right? Like, oh, you wanted that delicious coffee? No one has to grind it for you. You hit a button, zing, and it's there. Mm -hmm. And so, again, data is the new oil. What what was the meaning of oil? What was the meaning of fossil fuels for humanity? I would argue that it was essentially unlimited access to power. Anything that you as a person wanted the power to do before fossil fuels was probably prohibitive, and now you can do it. You, you want to grind something? We can grind it. You want to weave it? We can weave it. You want transportation? We can get you where you got to go. And it's 
we, we just take our lives for granted that like whatever we need the power to do, it's going to be there. So great. So so what does that mean? I'd say if you, let's say you could go back in time and tell people like Orange Silicon Valley in 1918 instead of 2018. I didn't know uh, we'd been around that long. Exactly. <laughs> but if you, if we could travel back in time to to, to the innovation strategy office a uh, hundred years ago and say, guys, like you, you you know that more and more people are consuming energy, but w- what does this mean for the market? What does this mean for innovation? Where, where's the world going to go? You'd be a hundred years ago, you'd be able to tell that we're going to keep. We started consuming a lot of energy. We're going to keep consuming even more energy, mm-hmm. and and we know now that people might say, oh, I wish I had a, more horses, or I wish I had more candles. We know that they're asking for a car and a light bulb today, but you could see where things were going to go. So, so all of that thought exercise I apply to data today. So data is the new oil. How do we apply that? So I would say, what is the fundamental meaning of data? Yeah. Data is all about understanding what's happening. Up until now, we've had this really annoying limitation that nobody knew what was going on. We never were able to optimize problems. So you think predictive capabilities are not even predictive. I, I would just go with diagnostic. Okay. Like, so if you and we're in beautiful San Francisco, if we want to go to San Jose, if we, if it was 1918 or even 20 years ago, we want to get down to San Jose, we'd have two options: take the 101 or the 280. And what do we do? We do well. I can tell you a really compelling story about how every time I go on the 280, it, it usually works. Yeah. So it's knowing what your decision, what your options even are, making the decision between which options. I think we can identify the options, but mm-hmm. the question is, is what's best? Mm-hmm. And right now, you can open Google Maps, you can open Waze, and you can find out that there's an accident on the 101, and it's backed up. So take the 280. It's like. And you could not do that before the internet. You could not do that before the internet of things. And that kind of canonical transportation problem mm-hmm. applies broadly across so many problems. And, and that's what I think is interesting. And it's it's this paradigm shift around data. Like mm-hmm. anything reason, no, I shouldn't say anything, but almost any problem that we can articulate, mm-hmm. we can now uh, get the data to solve it. Mm-hmm. What's the best way? I'm going to bring that up with Will yeah. Barkus when we get him in here to talk about smart cities eventually. Yeah, totally, and yeah. and and it applies directly to smart cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have garbage trucks. San Francisco runs all these garbage trucks. What's the best? Up until now, the way people figured out the best way to run the garbage trucks was by telling each other stories. And the mm-hmm. more compelling the story, the more it felt real. The more it felt like I should believe it. And mm-hmm. and that's what we went with. Mm-hmm. Uh, who told me that story? Oh, it's this bigwig who's worked in the industry for 50 years. Mm-hmm. His gut is probably better than my gut who's never worked in it, but it doesn't mean he actually has the truth. Mm-hmm. Today, be, again, back to the Internet of Things, sensors, computa- uh, sensors, connectivity, computation, user interface, we can put sensors anywhere we want. We can mm-hmm. use connectivity to get the data to the cloud where it's useful, and we can solve all these problems. And so I, I'm really, really passionate about saying, great, there's this paradigm shift. Anything that we want to solve for all intents and purposes, we can now solve. What's worth solving? That's interesting. Well, let me. Uh, I've got to close things off here in the in the next couple minutes. But uh, before we sign off, uh, who should reach out to you at uh, Orange Silicon Valley? I know you're always looking to meet with people and find people doing interesting things. Uh, who should reach out to you, and how can they find you? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, short answer is. 
it's open-ended, it's anyone. You know, here we're at Orange Silicon Valley uh, and definitely within the uh, Orange IoT Studio. Uh, you can go to orangeiotstudio.com uh, and send me a message through there. But it's really open-ended. You know, anyone who's listening to what I'm saying and is saying, let's just grab coffee and explore, mm -hmm. like that, I, that's, that's my threshold. <laughs> you can also find Mike on Twitter. Mike, yes. What's your Twitter uh, I'm at Mike Vladimir. Mm -hmm. uh, my last name is spelled a little uh, unexpectedly, so it's V-L-A-D-I-M-E-R. Uh, that's the, the important thing to know. Mike's about. an incredible Twitter asset to have <laughs> in your uh, list of people you follow. Uh, I will testify to that. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Orange Silicon Valley Bistro Cast. We're glad you could be a part of the conversation. Between episodes, you can follow us every day on orangesv.com, Twitter, Medium, and LinkedIn, as well as our weekly email newsletter, The Main Cable. We'll see you there or at one of our many upcoming live events, which we'll update you about in future episodes.